Hi FM presents South African politics and news with the South African Institute of Race Relations. The IRR show, independent, relevant and real, is hosted by Big Daddy Liberty and Sarah Gon every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10, promoting life, liberty and property rights. Good morning, good morning everyone and welcome to another grey, overcast, rainy day in Johannesburg for which we should be grateful even if we're a bit impatient. We will be glad in due course that we've had this amount of rain, um, I think. I'm, I'm sure we will. I'm sure we will. Anyway, just before I get on to the gory usual stuff, I would just like to pay my own little tribute to DJ Flo, who was the first person I worked with at HFM, uh, I think for about two years. He offered advice, he got me connected, and we had some really fun conversations about politics uh, off-air periodically. So I was deeply, deeply saddened to hear about his death, and I would like to send my condolences to his family and to wish them long life. Now, to get on to the mundane verging on the ridiculous, um, Sir Ramaphosa, our president, um, spoke to us again last night. Um, I think his audiences must be dwindling because I tend to catch up with what he said after the event because it was, as I thought it would be, a, a long harangue. Harangue is probably the wrong word. But his views on the vaccine and the details going uh, coming out of it and what's going to happen and how it's going to – well, not so much how it's going to be uh, distributed. That we have to worry about but that it's going to turn the corner and all, all sorts of good things. And I certainly hope he's right, but uh, I, I don't have much faith in the practical application of uh, of, of government programs generally. Um, funerals with 50 people are allowed. Social, political, traditional meetings and sports events are not. Masks must still be in public. Alcohol can be sold from uh, uh, 10 to 6, which uh, hopefully will rescue a whole lot of businesses in the industry, but there obviously are businesses that have just collapsed under another ban on the sale of alcohol. And one understands the, the conflict between making alcohol available and uh, alcohol the effects of alcohol filling up hospital beds. But unfortunately, it's one of those problems that it's one of, and it's a social problem. It's, it has many uh, causes and effects and it has to be dealt with uh, over long term differently. And I'm not quite sure if we've got, if we, if, if Anything we've done is, will really have made a difference. We have to work on that so much harder. Um, beaches are open, muzzle top. Parks are open, muzzle top. Question has to be asked is why they couldn't all have been open after the first few days of January when the holiday, se- the peak of the holiday season had passed. But let us not ask questions because there will be no president to answer them. He doesn't answer them. Um, I see as usual no questions from the from the press came and went. And I'm not sure, but I missed when all of this is changing. Uh, may I have been wrong that he gave a date, but um, I, I missed it. I will try and look it up, but I, uh, listening, watching, looking, I, I couldn't find one. Um, what he did say was that he, interesting little piece, he recognized, quote, the selfless and unwavering assistance of the government and people of Cuba. They fight... Uh, this pandemic all over the world and a, a brigade last has, last year treated 38,000 people by the end of the year. Um, 
I wish I had the same blind, um, uninformed faith in the Cubans as he does. Cuba is a poor country. It's, its export industry is doctors. Uh, it sends doctors. It sells medicines. It sold two, 250 million rands worth of useless medication to the army, uh, which army uh, did not get approval from its own health authorities nor any other health authorities, whatever. It's, it's a drug um, that is very, very seldom used anymore. Um, it has no known uh, relationship with uh, treating the, uh, the uh, COVID-19. Um, nobody's taking responsibility, least of all the minister. And of that 250-odd million, 90.5 million has already been lost in, with, in, with COVID, sorry, with vaccines that are fraught, essentially. They, they weren't kept between two and eight degrees. So, um, this sort of what uh, someone referred to as frozen in time history that the, that the ANC is so passionate about, uh, it's got to thaw out and get into the 21st century, uh, economically and politically. Um, interesting little tidbit. Uh, I may, I'm not sure if I mentioned this, but you know that Lakotla of a couple of weeks ago, um, Ramaphosa actually mentioned that um, the country cannot afford the NHI. Now, if, if he did, this might be a very good thing because it delays the, imp- the implementation of a program that was unwieldy, completely unaffordable, and there was absolutely no proof, no matter how many processes they described would now be put in place, to uh, particularly to deprive you of your private uh, medicine options, there was no indication whatsoever that the government was capable of of turning out such a system. Um, The system we have currently, which is complex enough but relatively simple, the hospital and clinic system would be better served simply by repairing hospitals, putting in people who know what they're doing, and putting in people who've been trained to do the the medical work. So that's a little tidbit that uh, might be good news. And then um, Zuma ignores summons to attend the Zondo Commission. Now, that's great. Uh, This was classic Zondo. It was He's complained of all the issues being propaganda, he's been vilified, everything's false. But if he doesn't pitch up on the 15th of February in terms of this this summons, he can face six months in prison plus a fine. So he says, I I do not fear arrest. I do not fear conviction. I do not fear incarceration. The laws of this country are politicized even at the highest court in the land. Well, he's a fearless man and as a fearless man he should be prepared to go to the hearing, um, have his say, uh, refuse to answer questions that may incriminate him um, and ultimately maybe then go to jail of which he's not afraid. So it's, uh, Thus we say. Otherwise, he's in breach of the, the Commission's Act. He's in contempt of court. Uh, the Commission is really going to have to uh, stand up, shall we say, when uh, when if Jacob Zuma does not appear. But it, it but it, it's it's actually almost very sad because it's it's pathetic. I mean, what can one say? It really is. It really is pathetic. You you literally are. I, I, I'm not sure that there's there's straws to clutch anymore. I mean. Restaurants aren't using them much for the good of the for the good of the environment. So anyway, um, just a, nice, a little article because I know there's been a lot of controversy to and fro on the 
question of using ivermectin as a as a treat as part of the treatment for COVID-19. Um, there's a, basically there's an uh, the information that's come from the medical fraternity in in South Africa is such is thus, and I'll, I'll put it very briefly. Um, the amount that is that can be used safely in a human being uh, is, is 12 milligrams, and it needs nearly 40 to 70 times as much to be effective against the virus. Um, and as soon as you're going into anything above the 12 milligram mark, and it, it will still fail to stay in your system long enough, and if you go up the sort of 10 times higher at least than, uh, than, is, than is wise, it will probably kill you. Um, my husband is a dermatologist who are the only doctors who use these, uh, um, um, this medication, use it because they know the, the, very specifically the dose. In the absence of knowing what the dose is, you end up risking your life. And a, 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 an elderly patient of his took some and ended up in ICU for a week in a coma. So, ladies and gentlemen, before we go into the ad, ad break, I'd just like to say, beware. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Nothing brings you back down to earth after the holidays, quite like a wallet full of receipts and slips where all the cash used to be. Well, Outsurance has an offer that will turn your post-holiday blues around. They could save you money on your car insurance every month. And if they can't, you can ask them for 500 Rand cash. Claim free and with the same insurer for three years. Ask for 1,500 years. And, sorry, 1,500 years. You could save or get cash on in your, in your wallet. So SMS, quote, out, close quote, to 40251. Outsurance is a licensed insurer and FSP. T's and C's apply. Free SMS. Welcome back, um, and perhaps I, sh- I should uh, ascertain whether my uh, colleague Herman Petrus is on the line. Herman, are you there? Mm. It seems like not yet. Um, I will. Okay, that's fine. Let's let's look at something else in the meantime. Um, Sorry, I just <laughs> this problem of working sort of from our respective homes. We just have to uh, follow instructions when things don't quite go as well as they should. Um, one of the things that, and it struck me when I was talking about the weather and how grateful we will be, is unfortunately I have very little doubt that our gratitude in respect of the provision of electricity will um, come back to bite us fairly soon. And we can hope, I mean, if you remember the days, repeated days of wet coal that prevented us from having electricity and, and uh, um, the, the, the sort of frustration is, you know, people must have wet coal all over the world. What is the problem? And I think it had large, it, it, it was, there were, there, were supply, there were supply problems. There was also quality of the coal. And I think that was a huge, huge and still remains a huge issue. Um, and it's, it's a matter of, of great debate between the traditional suppliers of coal, which were the mining houses, which supplied coal directly on conveyor belts in, to power stations and uh, independent uh, coal providers who transport coal to power stations. And I, I remember seeing sort of towards late last year the most extraordinary uh, dash cam from a car that didn't seem to 
you know, it, it, it started at the back of a line of trucks going into an ESCOM power station. And it drove and it drove. So it's driving past all these trucks and it drove and it drove and it drove. And I, I thought, you know, it, it's symbolic of absolutely everything that is wrong in this country because here you have great trucks. I'm sure they, 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 they can do a lot of good to the economy, but they're all waiting, which is slow. They're all chewing up the road, which is we've seen the consequences of. And we had have had railway lines that used to fulfill a lot of this sort of function of getting goods to and from places, particularly from inland to the to the harbours. And part of the ruination of the infrastructure of this country can be seen by that. I mean, we virtually have very little passenger rail service that still has to be revived if it's humanly possible. Transnet is still in, in trouble, and that should really be an area where the government should uh, bring the, the the private sector on board where it's feasible. And uh, uh, ports, apparently, I mean, I, I actually haven't heard much of our, our uh, about our ports of late, but they have been every now and again something leaks out, and they have just become like everything else, absolutely disastrous. And I think again we come back to the problem of. You know, everything comes down to the quality of management and how they train and look and, and, and guide the people that who work for them. And I think they have fallen victim to that very firm application of policy by the government, which is cadre deployment bolstered by limited BEE, limited in the sense that it's, it's, it's a, it's a narrow, it's a narrow benefit that goes to a small number of people, literally about 30, 40,000 people, if that. So there is a real, um, shall we say a real disgrace in that regard. But, you know, we, we, we don't have any signs that we're going to, uh, um, that we're going to come out of this. Um, I mean, but I, there is a sense that a whole lot of role players who are prepared to sort of stand back or give some benefit of the doubt or, assist in some way are saying this is it, the, the government actually cannot work with a framework that was based on Soviet communism of the 1950s that lords China historically, Russia historically, Cuba because Cuba was something to the ANC historically and Venezuela which is nothing to anybody except a, some, a beautiful symbol of um, how socialism doesn't work um, I'll Gone in the absence of, of my of my colleague. Um, pardon, just hold on a sec. I'm just trying to see whether we have any success. Um, Herman, are you in? No. Okay. One of the issues I wanted to raise with Herman. Um, one of the issues I wanted to raise with Herman was a press release that. The IRR put out under his uh, under his auspices directly to Cyril Ramaphosa, and the, the terms of that were were stop playing games, stop the blatant elite enrichment that is BEE, and the the gist of the piece was as follows: South Africans must conclude from Cyril, President Ramaphosa's remarks early this week on BEE that the ANC government has learnt. Nothing from the catastrophic failure of race-based economic empowerment policy, while stubbornly ignoring better policies such as the one we propose, which is economic empowerment for the disadvantaged, EED. While BEE has in reality come to stand for blatant elite 
in Richmond, President Ramaphosa has expressed his desire to make 2021 a, quote, game changer, close quote, for this policy, as he calls it, misadventure. To ignore the failures of BEE and to be deaf to better alternatives such as the IRED policy is to condemn more people to poverty and our economy to stagnation. The president, the president reportedly said at an event on Tuesday that, so it was on Tuesday, hosted by the African National Congress's Progressive Business Forum. Give that a thought. Sometimes we talk in broad terms about the economy. We now need to go deeper into exactly what makes the economy work and function and the participation of black people in all areas of economic activity. We will then see how best we can get black people to participate. This 2021 is the year that we should be able to do that and move the needle of economic empowerment for women, young people and black people broadly. We need to be able to say in a few years' time that empowerment of our people has now become a reality. Well, Herman's response to that was what must actually become a reality is real economic empowerment and that the data is indisputably clear. BE does not benefit those in need, but only members of the politically connected elite like the president himself. And what we do is that in contrast to the inherent weaknesses of race-based empowerment policy, uh, we look at the policy of EED, which was formulated by our colleague, Head of Policy Research, Dr. Anthea Jeffrey. Um, essentially, it's this. Where convoluted BEE measures rely on race as a proxy for disadvantage, um, we, EED would, appeal, would deal directly and honestly with disadvantage itself. This would finally scrap apartheid-era classification and end the cronyism that has had the effect of robbing from the poor to give to the powerful. Furthermore, EED focuses on outputs, not, uh, not on outputs, sorry, in the form of numerical quotas, but rather on providing the inputs necessary to empower poor South Africans, not just black South Africans, poor South Africans. Far from overlooking the key barriers to upward mobility, it seeks to overcome these by focusing on economic growth, excellent education, employment, and the promotion of vibrant and successful entrepreneurship. Now, our, our research shows clearly that the real issue of inequality is not race. It's socioeconomic deficits. And this inequality is most clearly visible among black South Africans. Where inequality among Indian South Africans has declined, inequality amongst African South Africans has worsened. And this is over a period that saw an overall reduction in inequality. So Herman says that uh, the president and his colleagues have done very nicely from the framework they created, not so much the rest of the people. The president's reference to a game changer must be seen in the context of a game that the political elites have rigged in their favor rather than a game changer. South Africa needs to, the ANC to stop playing games, scrap blatant, blatant in elite, elite enrichment, and give real empowerment policy a chance. That really is the, the nuts and bolts of it. We have spoken about it before, but it's, it's the first time, it's one, it's, it's sort of the first time we've really gone out to, to confront, um, the president of the country rather than the, government per se 
And he's been, I think we've confronted him because it, it is him. He is saying these things and he, uh, he, he, he believes them very, very profoundly. And it, it, together with the cadre deployment policy of which he is a dogmatic, um, supporter, the two together are a recipe for disaster. One has to remember that from 40, for 2014 to 2017, uh, President Ramaphosa was the head of the Cadre Deployment Committee for the ANC. Uh, he was also, by the way, the head of the uh, what they called the War Room on ESCOM. And if subsequent events have only shown that whatever his involvement was uh, in these two areas was at best completely ineffective and at worst destructive. So it's, it's really, the, the, it, we really have to look at something like EED. And the idea with EED is you look at people's socioeconomic uh, circumstances. And of course, what you will have is you will have pretty much numerically the number of people trying to be uplifted that are being uplifted now. But the, the determination will be your, your socioeconomic status, not your, not your, uh, uh, not the color of your skin. Now, the reason, and another thing is, why? Why on earth should a, a man as successful and as rich as someone like um, Patrice Mosepe, who's Saron Poses' brother-in-law, he entered into a huge deal, I think it was late last year, with Momentum Insurance. Now, surely at this stage, someone like him could have entered into that deal on his own merits. But no, it was it was labelled this huge BEE component, and of course the momentum needs it because every company needs this huge BEE component to be able to attract the uh, the, the contracts that it needs and uh, satisfy government uh, in 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 every respect and be on their side. But it's pathetic. There is no way that Patrice Monsep, his children or grandchildren, or he himself and his wife and all his relatives should be. Act- any point at this moment, um, um, due to, entitled to receive BE benefits. Benefits need to be need to be given to people who really cannot, do not have the money, do not have the resources to get them themselves. And those benefits are mundane. They they've been part of the ANC's call to action, which has been education, health, um, training, just those uh, access to access to housing, even if it's we would, I would say, even if it's uh, site and service op- opportunities for people to have uh, infrastructure and they build upon that. And that's what the government has sort of been punting for the last 27 years is something we must do and achieve. And we've done, ex- we started off well and we've, in the last 12 years, just done extremely badly. And what does this mean? Is the very fundamentals that have the ability to allow people to have the resources uplift themselves and to move up as most people most naturally do in a society, and that's how success naturally happens. The systems that support them are in, in are a disgrace. This includes the provision of education, the provision of health, among others. So we are wrapped up in myriad of laws and uh, programs and charts and requirements for, fill, for fulfilling BEE. And as one multinational company uh, said South Africa represents about 3% of our of their business of their global business but it requires 
30% of the regulatory obligations. Now, that is just, to me, a lovely symbol of how unattractive South Africa is for the investment community. And and the thing that the government must understand is that the, the foreign investors have many more choices and will go if they deem it necessary sooner rather than later. But investors are not just international. Investors are also local. And if you reach a point where the, the obligations and the, and the conditions and the, the, the onus on you, it's so onerous. It's, 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 it's so, it's so awful. Um, and I've seen it happen to companies. They either, if they can get their money out and invest elsewhere, they will, or they will simply close shop. And I have listened to anecdotes. I say anecdotes just because they, the instances I heard of directly, they, I didn't go and research them, of companies employing from 200 people to 2,400 people, you know, that sort of figure. I mean, thousands of people where the the obligations put on long-standing companies, I mean, these are companies that have been in existence for decades, but if it if it hasn't been demands on BEE or it hasn't been demands from recalcitrant unions or in some cases violence, and, uh, and disruption, they eventually sell, and or they they wind down. They let the the, the the company go, and you know whatever one may say about capital, you've got to allow capital to do what capital will be inspired by, and thus you will get com- uh, companies working, and thus you will get people employed. And once you get people employed. That's when they start to learn a whole range of skills that enable them either to move to other employers or to, in effect, go to get into a position to work for themselves. And uh, again, anecdotally, I've seen it I've, in the last three or four years. I've used a series of uh, electricians, plumbers, uh, artisans of, 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 of that type. I think most of us have. And I, it's extraordinary. For the last, say, two, two years, I have found the to use the racial uh, distinctions, the black artisans, it's much more efficient, much more effective, doing a better quality job on time than I have found with the uh, white artisans. And I, I think that's quite interesting because I think they're, uh, start, they, they, they've learned the, their trades. They're starting to see what needs to be done. The, the white artisans may be taking the, uh, their eyes off the ball. Hell, that's what competition is about, and that is what you need in this country. You need competition, but you can't get competition unless people are given skills. The entrepreneurs are few and far between. So having uh, given you my two cents worth on how strongly I feel about not having BEE, we'll move on to the next ad break. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back. And, uh, very interesting matter that I looked at because, of course, in early February, late January, early February, we have the um, mining in Darba um, every year. Co- companies, suppliers, governments, officials, etc. And it this year the uh, mineral councils, which represents 95% of uh, mining production in this country, issued quite a stern rebuke to. Uh, to the president, he asked. They asked for urgent and quick intervention from him, um, and they are prepared to spend 300 million rand to vaccinate their, their people, which is about 450,000 people. Sorry, yes, 450,000 people, um, and they'll 
they'll also spend about 300 million rand um, on providing recovery programs for their people. Now, now this is, gives a lovely example of two things. One is that it's, it, I'm very glad they're speaking out uh, at, the, at the president and telling him they want a quick and urgent invention, intervention. But I think that it's just something they're saying because the thing is they've actually just got to get on with it. Um, the, the, the private the sector has literally got to stop as far as possible ignoring the, the public sector. They're, they're not going to do anything about them. If they can roll out a vaccine program for 450,000 people, um, they must go ahead and they must do it. And, uh, the, you know, it, it, don't wait for Cyril. Cyril never comes to the party. Um, he, he makes promises. He goes on. And I'm, I'm sorry, I'd really, he just does not come to the party. I was just watching him sort of start to talk last night and thinking, you know, I wonder whether he's just actually the, uh, the cabinet spokesperson. Um, he, he's grabbed nothing by the whatever you grab. Uh, the Minerals Council went on to express their frustration at the lack of structural form, um, the fact that spending is still too high, debt is still too high, legislation is still, still too onerous, um, some of the proposed changes to the legislation are uh, uh, just going to make life worse for them, not better. Um, and uh, as I say, I, I, would, I, I would try and do my own thing. I mean, this is the council who allowed... The, I think it was the Minister of Mineral and Energy Affairs to produce a mining charter. Uh, uh, I think this is the third mining charter since uh, since the government and since the introduction of BEE and broad-based Black Economic Empowerment. And the third iteration became so onerous and so un- unrealistic that the mining industry finally took the minister to court over it. Now. Can you imagine in working and running an organization, particularly a mine in this, in this environment? And although you've got the manpower to deal with all the triple, double B, was it, triple B, double E requirements of 26% ownership moving up to so and so percent, the distraction, the fact that you have to turn yourself in not finding the skills that, that just aren't available if, in, in, in black applicants, if there are applicants, it's, it's, it all, all it means is that everything slows down. If nothing grows. Everything contracts. And as I say, my advice to the, uh, to, to industry is get on with it and, and, and as best as possible ignore our government. Do not cut out to them because we've fought, we've reached the point where the government needs industry pretty much more than industry needs the government. And, uh, They've already started. They've already some have produced their own uh, power provision. So really, it's it's it's. Uh, um, I just wish this had happened five, ten years ago, but it, it's taken that long to do so. Um, I would just like to make mention of something we we talked about last week, and that was the um, um, the the very very sad case of. Shonisani uh, Letole. This is the gentleman who died last year in Timbisa Hospital in the most appalling conditions of having been, having gone a hundred hours without anything to eat, uh, just untreated. The, the, the basic, the whole place fell apart because by all accounts, um, nurses were striking for PPE equipment. And it's a dreadful situation because on the one hand, one really does sympathize with the nurses. Um, 
but on the other hand, I mean, the, 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 his parents weren't allowed in. They provided food for him. They gave it to cleaners to give to him. The cleaners wouldn't give it to him because they weren't prepared to go into the ward without PPE equipment. And one suspects uh, that the food was eaten by people other than the patients that were intended for it. And it's really it, it's frightening because what happened is the manager, managing director, uh, superintendent, whatever you call him, of Tembisa Hospital, Lekopani Mokhaladi, said at the time, and I, I don't quote, but this is pretty much what he said, he is not going to stand down or resign because he's not going to blame, take the blame for the inefficiency and the behavior of the uh, medical staff. Now, therein is symptomatic of everything that Sir Ramaphosa seems to be unaware of. And that is that you one of the first things you do to deal with a crisis is the person responsible, even if not directly responsible, but the person in charge of the environment in which the crisis occurred steps down. It forces action. It forces a replacement. It forces the authorities to, to look much harder at it. Now, it had to go all the way through the ombudsman, um, which is why it's all only come out now, because all this happened in June of last year. It had to go all the way through the ombudsman, to make a decision about how appalling the situation was. So what, they, what the, the Department of Health has finally do, done is suspended him. So they've suspended him over six months after this uh, appalling catastrophe occurred. And the tragedy, so maybe now something will happen, but the tragedy is now we hear stories and they, they actually just, they just don't get into the public realm much because they are so frequent um, of maltreatment, of mistreatment, um, of causing unnecessary death in patients by elements in our health sector. And uh, do the words isidomeni mean anything to you? Well, that's exactly what, uh, um, that's exactly the, the same environment, the sort of environment out of which this sort of behavior occurs. Um, and usually um, the blame actually can be laid at the levels of management because it is, a, again, the quality of management and the ability of them to train, maintain and discipline staff that is crucial to getting something properly done. And uh, I, I, I just don't think we're going to get it right because, again, we, we, we're not, you know, we, we need to look at who are these people who are running these hospitals, why are they running them, what experience do they have and how are they running them. And, and frankly... I'm not sure I want to know. I, I suspect it's dreadful, but it, it 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 cannot cannot get worse. I mean, we're getting to the point where hospitals, some hospitals, are not working at all. In that case, please, will the Ministry of Health get rid of the BEE, employ people? I gather they are they are um, young doctors who've qualified and who will need training themselves in large numbers for whom places have not been found. And just to go back to those Cuban doctors, just a word on that. Chatting to someone the other day whose son is um, um, whose son is uh, starting his, uh, what, what the Americans call his internship, his housemanship. Uh, and he's been working in hospital for the last few years. And he reports that the uh, the guys working with the, the, the Cubans working with them are pretty much sitting around doing nothing, not to 
not to mention that most of them don't even speak English. So with that wonderful uh, little piece of news, I turn you over to our advertisers. Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back to this final little bit of the show. Um, I wanted to just point to an issue that I don't know if many people saw. Um, um, the recently stated intention of Stellenbosch Municipality to become South Africa's first municipal- municipality to, quote, not experiencing load shedding, close quote, is a, we believe is a step in the right direction and shows how practical policies we have, of course, we've got a policy. We call it the ESCOM recovery policy can power South Africans to save our country from the ANC's failures. Now, I understand that Cape Town is, is, would be pretty much ready to roll out the, the provision of, of energy. And this in a situation where we've de-industrialized, um, the, uh, a lot of people have businesses have either closed businesses or immigrated. So the consumption and all made alternative plans such as solar or gas, to, to, to run things. So the consumption of electricity has dropped, and yet ESCOM is producing 12% less, uh, less electricity than it was in 2016. And it just, it, the, obviously, it, it, there has to be a whole, a whole lot of, um, if either privatization of parts, involvement in the private sector, somebody other than the people who just the people who run ESCOM have to, got to be brought on board to try and find a way to resolve this. Um, if it, it's a, a catch twenty two, if people going onto onto solar and gas and, and wind and other forms of uh, electrical production, there will be less. Uh, uh, uptake of, of, of ESCOM's power and uh, um, you get catching issues they, they then have less demand with demand they they can't they, they have to re, uh, produce reduce production and everything ju- just continues to go further and further into a spiral of eventual complete blackout um, so you know, it's you damned if you do and you damned if you don't. But I think it probably weighs in 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 in, in factor of those who are prepared to uh, do it for themselves. So, um, not a good day for uh, relying on solar energy, as I see. Um, wind, perhaps gas, definitely electricity, hmm, not so much. Maybe uh, my colleague. Uh, was a was was a victim of said energy depletion, and with those uh, words of wonder, I thank you very very much for listening to me and encourage you to go onto our website, the uh, it's dailyfriend.co.za, to read some really strim- stimulating and controversial political and economic material and a whole lot of other things. We do podcasts as well. With that, thank you very much. Keep well. Keep warm. See you next week. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008.